Thank you, Adrian and Grace. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be together. It's, uh, I had, a, had um, I dropped Wes, my oldest, down at fishing camp yesterday. And uh, um, actually, we spent a night down in Browley. Browley is beautiful. I hadn't been to Browley before. It's my number one next top spot, actually. Might do our next, um, maybe we'll do our next uh, church camp there. What a good idea. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, really good. And they, they, they had this beautiful spot on the river down at um, Tarthra, and just wonderful. Anyway, beautiful day today. It's good to be together. And as, um, we're going we're gonna, to uh, have a look at Pontius Pilate today. But just, first of all, can I bring to your attention again, don't forget the comment cards. Um, we'll have a bit of a time of questions and comments um, after, in about 20 minutes' time when I'm done. And so if you want to write a comment there, you can put it in the white box at the back, especially if you're new today or you've brought, if you bring your friend along at Easter time, which I really want to encourage you to do, um, or any week really, get them to fill out the details. That helps me to make them feel welcome and, um, and uh, yeah, enjoy, enjoy the time here. Okay. We, we're going to start an Easter series from John's Gospel, the sort of the, the latter part of John's Gospel, um, what people call the, the passion period of John's Gospel or any of the Gospels leading up to Jesus' death. Um, today is, of course, Palm Sunday, if you follow that side of the, the uh, calendar. We're actually not going to look at um, that particular episode where Jesus walks triumphantly into Jerusalem. Instead, we're going to follow, focus on just this interesting man, Pontius Pilate, and see what on earth he has to do with us and why is he there anyway why don't we pray and ask god to help us father we thank you for your goodness and mercy to us lord thank you um, god for um uh, your word help me to speak it clearly and uh, help me to explain things clearly help us to have open hearts and minds to the challenges you give us today in jesus name amen well uh, thomas jefferson so you might have heard of him. He's that American founding father of the 18th and 19th centuries. Uh, he famously said, and no doubt as he was getting busy penning the American uh, Declaration of Independence, he, he said this. Oops, he said this. Here we go. Never put off till tomorrow what you can do today. Now that is sound advice, isn't it? Very good advice to do that. But sometimes I think I relate a little bit more to Mark Twain's response. I love this. Never put off till tomorrow what may be done the day after tomorrow just as well. <laughs> I think I'm going to put that in my office door. What a good idea. Um, maybe you're a bit like this. I think I am sometimes. Uh, procrastination, it's called, isn't it? That's what it is. It's procrastination. Uh, there may be some experts of that around here today. Uh, I might be one of them. It's defined by dictionary.com as the act or habit of procrastinating or putting off or delaying, especially something requiring immediate attention. Uh, well, friends, today we're going to meet, um, we're going to meet getting on, with the, getting on with things. I'm not going to procrastinate. I'm going to get on with it, all right? Uh, we're going to meet three characters in this section of John's Gospel uh, Three, three characters in this section, really, of, of Jesus' trial. We've got Caiaphas. Now, there's a picture that's uh, taken from the movie the, the Passion of the Christ. It's a pretty good movie, actually. I, I don't mind it. It's pretty gory. It's not a, probably not a family-friendly one, but uh, you can just see that. It's not as clear as I thought. Anyway, the guy in the middle, um, that's who plays him. He's pretty stern-looking, and we'll see he's a plotter and a schemer. There's Caiaphas. There's also Tiberius. Um, that's not what he looked like in the flesh, but they reckon that he looks something like that anyway. Um, Tiberius, he's the Roman emperor at the time. 
And then, of course, there's Pontius Pilate. Again, going back to this Passion of the Christ movie, that's how he's depicted there. Pontius Pilate is the Roman governor of Judea. That's where Jerusalem is. And when it comes to God's King Jesus, well, he is the great procrastinator. We're going to see that. He is the great procrastinator. So today, I'd like us to get to know Pilate a little bit. He's not the most popular character, is he, in the Bible? Uh, or even, of course, it's in the Gospels itself. But I reckon there's much we can learn from this, this procrastinating politician. So let's keep listening and let's find out how. Uh, here's, here's the plan. And you can follow, if you've got your outline there, uh, you can follow along. It might be helpful to do that. Um, a lot of it's taken up with a prayer at the end, but we'll get to that later on. To get to our conclusions and our challenges uh, that, that come with our conclusions, we need to come to grips, first of all, with Pilate's authority. He was a powerful man. And then we're going to see that he has uh, weaknesses. And finally, we're going to... And that really comes out of his past. We'll, we'll look at two episodes from Pilate's past and then we'll jump back into this conversation. We'll eavesdrop into this conversation that Pilate has uh, with Jesus. So what sort of man was Pilate? What sort of man was he? Well, yeah, he was powerful. Pilate was a powerful man. He was the, the prefect or the governor of the Roman province of Judea. Now, you can sort of see, if you can see in this map, I wonder if this little laser works, it does. You see the dotted line there? And that's the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus. It just follows around there. Now, there, little tiny little space is Judea. It's a long way from Rome, isn't it? There's Rome there, oh, roughly, give or take. Um, <laughs> it's a long way. So he was the Roman uh, governor, the prefect they call him, and he had at his disposal a powerful military force. Pilate was given the task to mediate between Rome and the many Jewish people that occupied Judea, of course, Jerusalem, where the temple was, who occupied this territory. Now, formally, no one did anything uh, of note in Judea without Pilate's permission. He, was the, he, he had authority. Pilate then was the only one who had the authority to put Jesus to death. He was it. Now the Jews, they had the freedom in Judea to exercise their own traditional religious laws, but only within clearly uh, defined limits. The one thing they themselves couldn't do was sentence someone to death. Rome was in control of that. So if Caiaphas, remember Caiaphas is the leader of the Jewish uh, Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling body, if Caiaphas wanted Jesus executed, then he would have to persuade Pilate that such a punishment was in the interests of the Roman Empire and, as we'll find out, Pilate himself. So, Pilate was powerful. Uh, the weight of Rome at his fingertips, he held the keys of life and death in Judea. So the decision that confronted him, that we read about in John 18 and 19, was his alone to make. That was his responsibility. Everything depended on his judgment. Now the irony in this story is that as we read in the Gospels, Pilate comes across weak. Like an expert from the reality TV show Survivor, well, I'm a big fan of that, Pilate gets played. 
he gets played by Caiaphas. Let me explain. See, Caiaphas um, doesn't present Jesus as a blasphemer, does he? No, the, the, the charge the Jews laid on him, the real reason they wanted him dead, that's, that was, he was a blasphemer. But Caiaphas doesn't present that to Rome, to, to Pilate. No, no, Caiaphas presents Jesus as a threat to Rome, doesn't he? As a dangerous political rebel. Caiaphas knew that Rome cared little about religious squabbles of the locals. He didn't care. But what he did care about was a threat to the empire. And so Caiaphas presents Jesus to Pilate as a king. But Pilate is no dummy. He knew this charge of the Jews was a big stretch. In disbelief of the whole scene, Pilate asks, I picture him pointing to Jesus and saying, are you the king of the Jews? You? Really? Uh, I, I, I doubt Jesus would have looked anything like a king, even uh, mock, mockingly dressed in robes and a crown of thorns on his way back from Herod. But as Jesus points out in chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. So unlike the crazies of other movements, his followers carry no weapons and there's been no rioting or protest or any unrest. In fact, Jesus' followers had actually gone into hiding at this point. So no matter what Jesus said about himself, the real threat to the Roman Empire was registering about a 1 out of 10 on Pilate's civil disorder scale. Okay? But at this crucial point in the story, Pilate's strength is tested. His political vulnerability is shown up. Now, John records the Jews' threat in 19, verse 12. If you've got a Bible there, it's the one, it's the verse I'd love you to have a look at with me. John 19, verse 12. It says, From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let Jesus go, you are no friend of Caesar. That's Tiberius the emperor. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar, they shout. With these few words, as they shout back, Caiaphas and the Jewish mob bind Pilate completely. Let me explain. You see, like so many positions, of, so many in, in positions of political power, Pilate was a man with a past an Achilles heel that occasionally forces him to limp. And Caiaphas was someone who would exploit Pilate's injury for his purposes. So there had been occasions when Pilate had not dealt with the Jews tactfully or wise strategically. He wasn't still so far from Rome for no reason. The first century Jewish historian Josephus records Pilate seizing funds from the temple to finance the building of waterworks and aqueducts in Jerusalem. Now, Pilate reckoned that was a pretty fair deal. Well, why shouldn't the locals pay for local infrastructure? That's fair enough, Pilate thought. Why should the money come from Rome if it was only the Jews who benefit? So there's some money there, I'm going to take some from the temple treasury. But Pilate didn't understand the sensitivities of the temple. The people revolted. There were riots in Jerusalem. 
But in dealing with these, Pilate decided this was the time to demonstrate his authority. Pilate decided this was the time to show people this is how I get things done. The foot's coming down, I've got the power, you don't. You need to listen to me. This is what's going to happen if you rebel, Pilate decided. So he sent in the troops to teach the rioters a lesson. Josephus writes that at first the soldiers mingled with the crowd in civilian dress. But then a signal, a signal was given and they unveiled their weapons, these soldiers, and they swung away at these unarmed men and women who were protesting against Pilate taking these funds out of the temple treasury. The bloodbath that occurred, that resulted, had, had nothing, well, it was nothing to be proud of as far as Rome was concerned. And Luke even speaks with powerful irony in Luke 13 verse 1 of Pilate having mixed the blood of the crowds with that of the temple sacrifices. He's referring back to that, that occasion. That's one example of Pilate's, Pilate's past. It's going to come back and bite him. Another example of Pilate's uh, mismanagement of, in his past, and this time it's recorded by first century historian and philosopher Philo. You can still read about him today um, and what he said and what he wrote. He, um, he speaks of the matter of Pilate's men using shields bearing an image of the emperor Tiberius. At first you might think, well, fair enough. Well, listen carefully. You see, the Jews view this as really insensitive, highly insensitive, and offensive and they complained uh, to have these images of the of the caesar of the pagan king in their mind uh, these images walking around the streets of jerusalem even in the temple precinct was nothing short of idolatry they simply asked for the shields for shields without any any image at all just plain shields but again, Philo records that Pilate was determined to make his mark as a strong governor who tolerated no nonsense. So he stood his ground, didn't budge. The Romans' kit, well, that's standard issue. You know, comes out of the factory, so to speak, like that. We're not going to budge and change it just for, especially because of some superstition of the locals. Not going to bother doing that. It costs a lot of money as well. But this time there were no riots, there were no protests. The Jews went straight to the top. They wrote to Tiberius the emperor, Philo writes. They appealed to him, Tiberius himself. They complained that their local representative was immoderate and unreasonable, the words are, and was casting the empire in a bad light. Key words. They were casting the empire in a bad light. Now, of course, this is risky stuff, isn't it? It's risky stuff for the Jews to do that because if Tiberius backed Pilate's actions, well, then that's it. There's no greater... You can't appeal to anyone else. You've gone to the top. Uh, and, of course, those who question Roman authority, well, usually doesn't go very well for you, does it? <laughs> you, you're not going to uh, fare well. But Tiberius... Tiberius sided with the locals that's when the crowd should go oh, that's huge Tiberius sided with the locals the Jews turns out that he's a better judge of uh, political realities and sensitivities than his representative 
He forced Pilate to make a very public backflip in policy. It was a decision that effectively, well, you can imagine, it effectively undermined, not to mention embarrassed, but undermined Pilate's authority from there on. The facts were that Pilate knew and the Jewish authorities knew and Pilate knew that the Jewish authorities knew that Tiberius would not put up with another embarrassing episode in Judea. He wouldn't do it. Pilate's career really had, had reached the crossroads. Any more trouble under his jurisdiction and he'd be sent off to Australia. <laughs> or something like that anyway. Um, if he was lucky, it wouldn't go well for him, that's for sure. Okay, a bit of background. Fascinating story, if you like that sort of thing. I hope you do. Um, so with this background, knowing this in mind, let's go back to the words of 19 verse 12. Remember those words? Caiaphas and the Jewish crowd shouting, shouting at Pilate, putting all this pressure on him. And don't just think a few people, a whole sack of people. What did they shout out? And these words come of the Jewish crowd, therefore come highly charged. They are loaded with all sorts of meaning. If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. That's what Pilate heard. Pilate got it. He understood that threat. Pilate had all the might of Rome at his fingertips, yet his hands are tied by his past misjudgment and, of course, Caiaphas's willingness to exploit it. Now, yes, in theory, Pilate is free to spoil the Jews' plans for Jesus. And I bet he wanted to do just that. He was sick of them. I bet he wanted to let Jesus go. But he knows that Jesus must die. The crowd must get their wish, otherwise it's him who will have to pay the political price. As one commentator put it, integrity does not come cheap and Pilate can't afford it. <laughs> although, Pilate does hear, sorry, although Pilate does all he can to try to convince the Jews to release Jesus, they shout back, take him away, take him away, crucify him release Barabbas and Pilate knowing the injustice and no doubt feeling the weight of his conscience well he still bends to the Jews will in all Pilate is confronted with God's king not, not the Jewish king but he's confronted with God's king the one with all authority the, the creator from Colossians 1, uh, Sharon read to us a moment ago, in him all things hold together. Jesus who testifies to the truth. God's installed, enthroned king, as Psalm 2 prophesies about the coming Jesus. Psalm 2 then goes on to warn the kings of the earth, the pilots, the Herods, uh, the the Tiberiuses, and so on. Psalm 2 says, Be wise, be warned, you kings of the earth. But Pilate, when he has his encounter with Jesus, when confronted with the truth, as Jesus says in 18 verse 37, Pilate fails to take a stand, doesn't he? He makes excuses, he withdraws, he delays. His final scheme is to avoid being seen to have made any decision at all. 
his procrastination, in his procrastination, and procrastination, he tries to convince himself and the crowds that he is neutral in this affair. Shall I crucify your king, he says. Pilate says it's your responsibility. It's not mine. Your responsibility. And so he washes his hands. And, and the story goes in the, in, the, in the Synoptic Gospels recorded there. That's what he does. He actually washes his hands, flicks the water over them almost, absolving himself, at least trying to, of a sin that he cannot possibly himself bring to own. Okay, so I think I hear what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, what on earth has Pilate got to do with me? Is anyone thinking that? I hope you are. Yes, I hope you are. Because I think sometimes, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering if sometimes I'm a little like Pilate when I deal with Jesus. And I wonder if you're a little like me. Uh, As we encounter Jesus today, that's what we're doing, by the way. We're confronted with King Jesus. How will you respond? How will you respond to King Jesus today, tomorrow, the next day? How will you do it? Like Pilate, we find ourselves with, at times, unexpected and possibly unwelcome encounters with Jesus. We know there's something different about Jesus. So we're we're intrigued by his claims, the history, the story, uh, his compassion. We recognise that there's something different about him. We may even say there's something about this Jesus, but we can't just quite pin it down. And when we get to know Jesus, when we read his word and hear about him, even sing about him, as we've done today, well, we start to feel, we definitely do feel, the force of his demand on our lives. Uh, is, he, is he our king? Is Jesus really my king? Is he really ruling in my life? Is he really king of my energies? We feel the force of his demand on my time, on my Sundays, uh, Anything we hold dear, Jesus has something to say about it. When we encounter Jesus, he doesn't let us get comfy on the fence. He won't let you do that when, you come, when you can, you're confronted by King Jesus. Perhaps we feel at times compelled to take a stand against the crowd, to side with Jesus. But when we count the cost of doing so, uh, we find it a bit too high. And so rather than turning away or trying to, trying to put him to death... Well, we procrastinate. That's what we do. We seek instead to make excuses, to withdraw from the situation. We adopt a morally non-committal neutrality. (laughs) The fence feels pretty comfortable. That's what that phrase means. But as we defer the moment, so whether we decide not to speak, or whether we decide not to act, whether we decide not to love or to show kindness. As we do that, putting the decision to stand with Jesus on ice, as we do that, pushing him to the side, we're questioning Jesus' authority in my life. That's what I'm doing. I'm questioning his authority, his rule. And what we see from the story of Pilate 
is that such procrastination, uh, well, it didn't work for Pilate, did it? And friends, it won't work for you and me either. I want to close by praying a prayer and I've written the prayer, the words I'm going to pray on the outline. I'd love you to take, I'm going to give you a minute or so, uh, take a moment to have a look what I'm going to pray. Perhaps you can pray this prayer in your own, in your heart and in your mind to God, hoping you can. It's pretty honest. Take a moment to read it. Holy Father, you sent your Son into the world to be our judge and thereby thereby our redeemer. His life of perfect sonship exposes the madness and prodigal waste of our continual bid to escape your holy love. We prefer to set our own standards and determine our own values, frame a pattern for our own lives and be our own judge. Like Pilate, confronted with the scandal of Jesus' weakness and humility, we sense the true meaning of kinship, yet find it difficult to take our stand with him. The forces of the world ensnare us. Help us never to seek to wash our hands of him, but make us as firm in our commitment to him as he is in his commitment to us. Amen. I'll give you a moment to um, take a breath and then if anyone's got a, a question or comment as we do each week then please share, that'll be great. Alright, has anyone got a question or comment or something they want to add? Joan. Yeah. yeah, good question. Obviously, we have no answer. <laughs> yeah, just in case you didn't hear it over here, I often wonder if Pilate didn't procrastinate and make excuses and didn't make, you know, where would we be today? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, but of course, Herod found no excuse, but Herod, Herod is a bit like Herod passed the buck as well. You know, Herod said, well, it's not my business, he's, he's actually Pilate's jurisdiction, so I sent him back there. But, um, yeah, um, the, the wonderful thing is that is as, um, as we're reading God's Word in, in Acts that, uh, that God used evil people to bring great good. Um, and Pilate, Herod, Tib- Tiberius, uh, Caiaphas, evil people for, for good. So, thanks, Joan. Yeah. Any other question or comment? Okay, wonderful. Thank you, Michelle.